who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Tonight, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons & Dragons, from orcish outlaws to omnipotent orbs, and today we're talking about optional rules for 5th edition. All right, Brian. It's our uh, first dungeon mastering episode in a very long time. It's been a long time. I think we were saying since the villains episode. Yeah, since the villains episode. Had a lot of fun I with that one. I think was in February. I, I don't even know at this point. It's, it's all a blur to me. It's all a blur. But, it's um, all podcasting I'm whirlwind. Hoping, I'm hoping to get some more dungeon mastering episodes as we keep going. As um, am I. <laughs> it's It's been hard to kind of come up with like good DM episodes that can carry a conversation for 35 plus minutes. Yeah. Um, but there, there is stuff though. There and, is stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think otherwise I think we today, wouldn't be here doing, talking about it right now. <laughs> right. And there's more stuff that we can get to that we've kind of talked about and workshopped it a little bit. So. Yeah. So D and D is a pretty unique kind of gaming experience for multiple reasons. But one of the main properties about it since the days of first edition that makes it stand out is that nice that polyhedral system. Well, I mean, yeah, all the pretty, pretty shapes, Uh, the click clack they make when they hit the table. Yes, that too. Well, I can't (laughs) stop buying dice. I know it's it's an addiction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one of the things that makes D&D stand out is that no two tables play this game the same way. Uh, That's yeah, pretty true. Yeah, I would say. So some groups do play rules as written to the T. Mm-hmm. I would say that most play with at least some form of homebrew rules, alternative options, or some sort of additional mechanic to tailor the game of Dungeons and Dragons to the group's taste. And even if you're not saying it out loud that there's like an unwritten rule at your table, like a house rule or something mm-hmm. like that, there's probably something happening that you do just at this table. Yeah. And sometimes this is due to laziness. Uh, there are a lot of rules, and a great deal of people do not have the time slash energy to memorize them all. Well, I wouldn't like, call that lazy. I would just call. I that mean, yeah, I mean, do. what I'm trying to say is, I, and that is no one's fault. If you don't have the time, you don't have the time. Life is uh, hard. Life is hard, indeed. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so, um, sometimes you know, sometimes it's uh, due to rules for a situation not being provided at all. So, like. D&D is a role-playing game designed to emulate a reality, so it's impossible to write rules for an infinite amount of scenarios. So sometimes you're just, like, you got a homebrew because there's no rules written for the situation that you're dealing with. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. Yeah. And lastly, uh, and maybe more interestingly, some groups will disagree with or dislike how a certain rule plays out in-game, and thus they'll cook up their own rules instead. Now, this is something I do a lot. You're writing a collaborative (laughs) story, and it is important for that to feel right when things happen. This doesn't feel like the way the story would go, and that's important to remember. It, it It can make or break a session. 
Yeah, and to me, this is the most fascinating thing about Dungeons & Dragons because you don't see this in other types of gaming, or at least not usually to such an extreme degree of like, oh, I don't like this, this, and this rule. It really doesn't fit what I'm looking for in this game, so I'm going to just change it. Right. And, and then everyone's who, who's at my table is probably going to be okay with it because we're going to talk it over, and it's still Dungeons & Dragons. It's it's not, not Dungeons & Dragons. It's still the same game, and yet it's completely different from the way other people play it. Right. I mean, and you don't need either Dungeons nor Dragons to play Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> this it, is true. It's Yeah, you, you got <clears throat> it. I mean, that's that's it. Is Basically, this doesn't feel right. We're going to mm-hmm. change something. I think it would be better for the story if we did this or that. Or right. I think it would be cooler, even mechanically, if we did this instead. Like with our, uh, what's the one we do at our table with the critical? We don't do it anymore. We don't do it for Super Quest Saga, but usually a, I just, uh, what is it? Just uh, ex- double, double die, damage. Right? I no, still max, do, damage. Max, max damage. Max damage, extra and die. Extra die yeah. Because I still like it for F-Bats. We still do that. It feels fucking awesome. It feels <laughs> like a superhero. You Superman punch somebody and exactly. you got them right in the bridge of their yeah. nose or whatever. But because our half-orc has that ability... Uh, we want to keep things right. So so that's a good instance of us. We're going back to what rules is written because it influences one of our players mechanically and we want to satisfy that. That was exactly why we did it. Yeah, yeah. we don't want to take that away from him by changing the rule. Indeed. And to quote Gary Gygax, the secret we should never let the game masters know is that they don't need any rules because they can make their own. You can. So 5e has done a pretty good job of recognizing and acknowledging the concept of changing and adding rules to fit a group's needs and has even gone as far as publishing a chapter into the Dungeon Master's Guide with a slew of optional rules that DMs can make use of. And these are the ones that I've chosen to talk about today. Honestly, there's so many, we're probably going to be a second well, end to this episode. We'll do it. Optional rules too. Yeah, I'm sure but, there's um, there's much there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, because you before we before we started recording, you talked about like three or four optional rules. I was like, shit, I ain't fucking add that in here, and, and I got like seven pages of notes. To so look at. I think we'll leave my bit for the the endish episode before the yeah, long rest. Sure. Um, we yeah. will be talking uh, in length about F bats a little bit because I've implemented almost a good everything idea. I brought up. We've implemented in that game. Yeah, I so. think it's a great idea. So let's uh, let's get into it. First, I want to talk about. Um, Proficiency bonuses, which is what is used in the game, versus the optional rule of proficiency die. So the idea of proficiency die uh, basically adds an extra level of randomness to the game and makes the idea of mastery of a thing a less reliable indicator of the success of said thing. Sure. So essentially, rather than having a flat proficiency bonus number that increases as the character levels, instead characters have a proficiency die that they can add to rolls to make where their proficiency is relevant. It starts as 1d4 and increases as the character level. So from levels 1 to 4, it's a d4. From levels 5 to 8, it's a d6. From levels 9 to 12, it's a d8. 13 to 16, it's a d10. And 17 to 20, it's a d12. Interesting. So rather than, because I think it starts at a plus 2 normally, the proficiency bonus. Yes, I think so. And it ends up as a plus 6 by the end. Um, This, again, it's an interesting way to add randomness to the whole situation. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, this is actually what the initial idea for 5e was when Wizards was developing 5e. Uh, when the playtest of D&D Next uh, was released, proficiency die was the written rule. Okay. Um, I remember because I played it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but because Wizards of the Coast really wanted to separate the competence between a low and, and a high level character uh, in a more consistent manner, they ended up changing it to a flat increasing number. All right, all right. So... Yeah, I, I like that, though. I like... I can only... Uh, ever do this bad at a thing which is right to right. say your proficiency bonus plus one so at level 20 mm-hmm. i should only ever be getting a seven as my minimum factor because yeah. i've which is still a failure which is mm-hmm. i like that about dungeons and dragons is you're there's always the capacity to fail just mm-hmm. like real life right um i mean unless you're like a giant monster or something like that and then you pass like certain things automatically it's true um but as a player there are certain abilities I'm sure that kick in that make you potent because you can succeed at something. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the trade off too. Like I like, I like exactly what you're saying about the flat proficiency bonus. I love that. It's like, Oh, okay. So there's kind of a floor here where it's like, once you're so good at something as in real life, you're probably almost never going to flub it. Yeah. You're still going to flub it every once in a while. But what's cool about the dice is there's always that chance of doing real good at a thing, which always feels really good. Yeah. Um, especially since you add your proficiency to your attack roll. Oh, yeah. So that you could can, be you can a D12 plus a D20 for your attack roll. Sounds pretty sweet. You can get some ball numbers with that. Um, and then on top of it, you know, 
I think everyone can agree rolling extra dice always feels nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just I just Especially love the D twelve. When are you rolling clack, that clack, thing? Clack, clack. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when you're level seventeen to twenty, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> so any any, any other thoughts about proficiency die? Uh, only that like what um what when would you want to implement this system? What style of game, what kind of outside factors would cause this sort of thing to like give you that varying ability in your successes? Where you could I, you can do a lot better, it sounds like, than you ever could with the flat system. This is a system for a group of people that like the randomness factor of D and D, right? And really want to lean into that because I think a lot of people like the idea that you could roll a die and flub so bad that you accidentally stab your friend. And even though that's not <laughs> realistic, yeah, there's a certain hilarity to it. And True. I mean, we talk a lot about role play. We talk a lot about. Um, all the different aspects of D&D that are great. But one of the things we probably don't talk about as often as maybe we should is one of the greatest things about D&D is how fucking hilarious it is. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really funny. Unexpectedly failing something can lead yeah. to a lot of laughs at the table. Exactly. Or and just like doing some, having a stupid plan and, and getting the nat 20 and it it's within the realm of possibility. So you pull yes. it off. That's really funny too. So groups that really want to emphasize that hysterical part of D&D, which I think is a totally fine thing to do. This is probably a system you might want to consider. So that's like a meta gaming, like a, what I mean, like a macro you were looking for aspect. a real like an in world reason that there it would yeah, be like that. Like, right. That, it, I don't think there is one, with the exception of like unless you're running a wacky game. You're in limbo or whatever, and so like your sure. proficiency could like vary widely. Oh, that's uh, a pretty cool. I like that idea. So, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. looking for more like I'm gonna. Try you to wanted add to get into like fantasy that. physics. You wanted to fantasy <laughs> physics it up. Well, because but I said no. That's my approach to <laughs> that's my approach to my games a lot. Is like no, yeah, why, I think that's cool. What about the story would make me want to implement the system to make? Mm -hmm. Why would this system make sense in my setting and my and my narrative okay well i i think my my reason still stands oh, to absolutely. that question absolutely like, i i like i like just like seeing both sides of it because i have that different yeah. approach and i know a lot of people i think it would be funny to run a one shot with this with oh, this yeah. implementation yeah absolutely there's so many things it's like oh that would be so great in a one shot like, yes i wouldn't want to commit to it but i would like to dip my toe well because we've <laughs> never really tried it right yeah exactly. so like there yeah. if we do a one shot, there's little consequence. You don't like commit hard to this rule. Right. Or maybe you can slip a game in where you're like, I mean, we can't do that on our game because we, we want to keep it consistent throughout, but yeah, it, with a long-term campaign. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I think we can move on from proficiency dice yeah. to the next optional rule called hero points. Yes. This is one of my favorites. So uh, this is something I felt like you were probably familiar with because I thought it was something you use in FBAT. We do. We run um, hero points. So let me let me explain it and then you could talk about your experience with it. Sure. Um, so hero points are an interesting mechanic designed to give campaigns um, set in an epic fantasy or mythic fantasy a little extra oomph to their characters. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea here is that characters are more like superheroes and not mere adventurers. So the way it works is that characters are given a number of hero points equal to five plus half their character level at the beginning of each character's level. Any hero points left over after they level up are discarded. Uh, so it's a use it or lose it situation. But right. You always will have be replenished upon level up. Yes. Um, a player can spend a hero point whenever they make an attack roll, ability check or saving throw. This allows the player to roll a 1d6 and add it to the original roll. Um, only one hero point can be spent per roll. Uh, additionally, when making a death save, um, a hero point can be spent to auto su succeed it. And as an example, I was trying to think of like, what's an example of like a hero point being expended in a story? Uh, you remember in Disney's Hercules where Hercules fights the Hydra? Oh, he, yeah. And he hits That's the great... rocks and the rocks come crumbling down yes. and everyone thinks he's dead. It's like that moment where he like just finds that inner strength and breaks free and comes out and reveals he's alive. He spent a hero he point. He spent there. a hero <laughs> point. He broke out of there and Indeed. fucking auto succeeded his Ex death saves. Exactly. There you go. Or he strength checked um, his way up to enough to break out. Yeah, something like so that. So I've never used hero points. Uh, the idea sounds great. I've just never ran a campaign that I felt they were necessary. But you're running a campaign right now that does use them. And what's your experience with them? I, should we talk about the, the space that we're using this setting, like my setting a little bit? Yeah, it's sure. Just, it's just Batman. I watch Batman the Animated Series. I watch an episode. I turn it into a D&D campaign. I plug in two dudes that have their own superhero persona. Old Batman is in charge of them. That's the whole bit. They have basically the Batcave. They have access to their heroes. They have access to any kind of basic weapon they want. They get access to a separate shop that gives them like extra Batman-like items. 
I feel like in this set, I use Waterdeep as Gotham City. So as <laughs> it's, a, it's a great fit, honestly. Um, I'm currently kind of taking an Eberron approach to my Waterdeep where I'm like adding, really adding technology and stuff <laughs> like that because I think it's a really cool reflavor. So yeah. the, the idea is that when they go into the game and fight bad guys the, and there's something that the hero should they feel like a hero should be able to do they can pump out these hero points to make those things happen what, does gra- does batman like fire his grapple gun and like does his gun slip out of his hand and then he falls to his death no he that doesn't happen he dexes everything <laughs> automatically batman has a super high dex for no reason and like my well, with I mean, the hero points in the game it gives it that feel right like, i should land this attack this is an attack I need to land, and it's pertinent in the dialogue to do this X thing or whatever. Right. So I made some tweaks since implementing the system. Mm-hmm. I let them dump as many as they want at once. Oh, really? Because I, I was, I was going to say that. Uh, the rules say you can only use one at a time. We did that at first, I think. And yeah. then I was like, it wouldn't it be cool to like... My players know exactly how many games before we level up because we're doing a certain milestone system. Yeah, yeah. So... If they're if they want to save them all for the final boss fight and like land every attack, like <laughs> for sure, yeah, like whatever, not, man, yeah. that's super cool. Like you're you're you saved up all your hero. Right. They usually have a couple points left by the time we level up, and they get dumped. I don't let them roll over. Yeah, which yeah, that would be, that would be too much. Yeah, I think I think, I think so. And they're, yeah. they're, now they're up to they're going to be level eight soon in our canon later on. So mm-hmm. that's going to be. It's wow. nine. That's nine points. They get, get a lot. And, and we're going to spend a lot of sessions at that level. So it, it's I think it gives the player that little extra edge that giving you a hero like a superhero should give you. Right. Absolutely. Excellent system. I it like sounds it a like a fun system. And I mean, you're literally using hero points for a hero game. So yes. I think it works out. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to the next uh, optional rule that is listed uh, in my notes. The additional ability score option and there's two that we're going to talk about so essentially you know you have your strength your dex your con your intelligence your wisdom and your charisma why not add another ability score okay cool uh in this case the first ability score that is um used as as an example is the ability score of honor nice okay this is a really interesting concept to me because as speaking as a member of western civilization specifically as an american I think the idea of viewing social interactions as being heavily influenced by someone's charisma is a pretty accurate representation when it comes to, like, our culture. Yeah. I think that's how our social interactions are influenced. That's how you make friends and, you know, become a leader and all that stuff in our culture. There's some variations based off of social groups, but yeah, Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but there are other cultures, both past and present, where charisma is not as important for social interactions as much as adherence to certain etiquette, customs, or codes. Uh, the stat of honor is designed for campaigns that deal heavily with such societies. So like nobility and stuff. Not just nobility, but like if... Um, okay, let's use Name of the Wind again. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so there's... Second a, episode of Name of the Wind reference. Let's there's go. There's a society of... Uh, warriors called the Adam, you know this because you've read these books, who have to follow the Lafani. Okay, these, these are big. Uh, is this going to be spoilers? Kind of. This is mm. kind of like spoilers for Wise Man's Fear. A little bit, but yeah, I'm I'm bit. I'm gonna very very scantily touch. I this, like so. the way you're going with this a yeah. lot. Um, and following the, the Lafani is like a philosophical, almost religious, um, life teaching and way to live your life. Right. And, you're con- uh, uh, the damn say, you know, you're constantly learning. You never stop learning to what be the Lathani is. is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And everything they do is a, is either of or not of the Lathani. And if right. it's of the Lathani, it's good. And if it's not, it's bad. But what that is, but what is that like, is, is kind of up for interpretation. It's, it's hard to figure out. But there's but everybody also, also knows what it is. Yeah, but also like there is this inherent understanding throughout the culture like everyone seems to be on the same page about it and so if you were to run a game with the adam culture i would use honor as your adherence to the lathani and your understanding of the lathani that's okay this do you understand where where this i get exactly where what you're saying it sounds like it could still get hairy just because of the way rothis writes that portion of the book but i like uh Maybe it shouldn't be so loose in your game. Right. But well, do you it's, see it's loose but, and it's not. It's really like kind of like confused. It's confusing in the book but for do a you, while. But do you see what I mean by like charisma is not really a factor in yes, those social because and the like, character that deals with the main character deals with the 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 Adem 
and, and he is his super charismatic. His charisma stat is not, not helping help him. It hurts all. him more exactly. than it helps him. Exactly. So, okay, okay you understand. Yeah. Like so. in the way you would go into court, uh, a courtroom and like start calling the judge your homie. Like right. That, true. <laughs> and even though the judge is like, oh, let's go get coffee later. They're like, this is my court. You can't talk like that. Exactly. Even though they, they totally, they're totally into it on the sure. inside. Yeah, absolutely. Something like that. Okay. So the honorability score is designed to represent a character's devotion to a code of conduct. Uh, it represents their inherent understanding of said code and their perceived standing in society by others. So others may not know your honor score, you know, when it comes to the metadata, but if you are a character with high honor, they the people know. around you understand, oh, this is a person of high honor. Yeah, and people of high honor will or like, this be is a person with you. Who has a deep understanding of the Lithani. Yeah. So, yes, exactly. So the idea is oh, that this guy called me your honor. Good. <laughs> good. The, the the idea is that in certain social <coughs> situations, uh, the honor score will be used for checks instead of the charisma score. So some of the examples for honor checks given are when a character is unsure how to act with honor, uh, surrendering while trying to save face, determining another character's honor, uh, trying to use proper etiquette in delicate social situations, and using one's honorable or dishonorable reputation to influence someone else. Wow. Okay, you're getting into a deep level of the game. Yeah, dude. How, how deep does your world building go? Do you have a certain, like, way of speaking? Like... And you oh, yeah. Because th yeah. that could be interpreted a lot of ways. You roll the D20, you get high. The DM tells you what you need to the types of things you need to say. Mm -hmm. Like this person would like it if you address them as this sort of thing. Right. Or like, do you just hand wave it? Do you roll that D20? And it's like, OK, you have the conversation. It goes well. Like, I mean, you could do it either way. Right. You can do it. Of course, you can do it either way. Uh, unlike other ability scores, honor cannot be increased with normal ability score raises. OK. In, instead, honor can either be awarded or reducted at the DM's discretion based on. Oh, shoot. <laughs> based on the character's actions or decisions. Oh, man. Uh, a character's honor score cannot surpass 20 like all the other ability scores. So this is a really cool concept. I would love to be involved in a game if I had the time in life to do so that use this um honor system oh yeah i think I th it's really cool it sounds like uh it adds a level of, a level of depth um, right and right. it can quantify something that a lot of games probably already use it's like something like i always wonder about that like how much uh your table etiquette in the role play affects the way the dm is responding to you mm -hmm. and i'm sure that's just dungeon master to dungeon master to dungeon yeah, master yeah. but like I would love to see a game that does that. I mean, maybe if, if there's like a crit roll or something that you guys know about, point me in the right direction. If there's somebody doing something like with this honor stuff, I want to see like the variations. If you guys could point me in the right direction. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. So we're going to talk about one more example of add an additional ability score, and this is the sanity score. So sanity is... Did we a, use this, by the way? No. So I know you're referring to our horror game, The Dredge and Shadow of Meyer Keep, which yeah. is again on Patreon. Sorry we're talking about all our Patreon <laughs> games right now. We um we didn't use sanity. We used something else, which we will talk about after sanity. Okay. But something similar. Okay. So the sanity, sanity is an ability score that can come into play in a campaign dealing with cosmic horror or Lovecraftian horror. Um, as we talked about in the Great Old Ones episode, Lovecraftian horror deals with beings from beyond normal reality capable of driving men insane with a mere glimpse or, the unfathomable. or with a touch of communication. They've got the Davy Jones. <laughs> a character with a high sanity score will have a greater chance at remaining level-headed when dealing with such things versus a character with a low sanity score who will probably go insane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sanity checks are used for instances a character is attempting to recall lore about alien creatures of madness, deciphering the writings of a madman affected by said creatures of madness <laughs> <laughs> or learning dark forbidden magics probably developed by creatures of madness i love it uh other examples for sanity checks include deciphering texts written in alien languages that threaten to break one's mind or and comprehending alien ma comprehending alien magics uh sanity saving throws can be called for when a character sees a far realm or other alien realm entity for the first time uh being subjected to a spell or magic that affects their mental stability or passing through a reality built on alien physics. Failing a sanity save uh, may result in short-term, long-term, or indefinite madness. There is a pretty awesome madness chart available in the Dungeon Master's Guide on pages 259 to 260. Um, so yeah, sanity. Nice. <laughs> it's great. We, uh, we, uh, we didn't use sanity because uh, in that game you guys didn't actually have a sanity score. Right, but, but we did make saves. Say, you did make... Uh, Madness saves, which we'll talk about later. But so different from this. It that's, is different okay, from this. Okay. This is 
This is what you would use if you were running a campaign. What I did was perfect for a one shot. Okay, yeah. we'll get to that. But it's been a while since we played that. This is a really cool additional mechanic. Um, I've said this many times, and I'll say it many more times as long as the show goes on. But I'm a staunch believer that there is no type of story you can't tell with D and D. If you're willing to flub the rules, if you're willing to to, to bend it a little bit, I find D and D be quite flexible. And uh, that's why I decided to run Super Quest Saga. So it's like, I could do a space game. I could probably do a pretty good one. So um, I'm happy with how it's turning out so yeah. far. I can do a superhero game. Yeah, I, exactly. We, we do pretty yeah. good at that, too. So and um, then we've done we've this, done the normal fantasy game. Mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. We've done these one all these different one shots with different styles of fantasy. Exactly. They all have different rules. So sanity, I think, is a really <clears throat> succinct rule that really makes a uh, Cthulhu-esque campaign very, very possible. Um, and honestly, there are some additional rules we're going to talk about later that could make it even more Cthulhu-esque, if you will. But before we take a short rest, I really want to explain a little bit how adding an additional ability score works. Because it doesn't have to be honor or sanity. You can come up with one of your own. Why not? But if you're running a game with an extra ability score, the way they are calculated upon character creation is if you are using a standard array, you are to add one eleven to the array. If you are using the point by system, you add three extra points to the number of points that you can use. Okay. And if you roll for them, well, then you just roll for them. (laughs) (laughs) With that being said, let's take a short rest. Okay. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million dollars stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. It doesn't matter if you're selling scented soaps or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you'll sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. It's like I said before, Shopify is going to take your business no matter what stage it's at and elevate it to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash DungeonCast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash DungeonCast. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Check out new episodes Mondays and Fridays for a wide variety of topics and news episodes. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Rage on. Welcome to the part of the episode where I'm talking about the last thing we're Welcome talking about. Welcome to Dungeon Cast After Dark. Welcome to Dungeon Cast After Dark with Brian and Will. Welcome to the short rest. We turn the lights down way low. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I, I also love you. I love you with the lights down low. I love you with the lights on. I can't see you ever. So if you can hear the sound <laughs> of my voice, thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> uh, hey. We're talking a lot about, I know we weren't going to talk about the things we're talking about in the last part of the episode, but it's kind of pertinent. So we are going to talk about some of the things we're talking about in the last episode, <laughs> like where you can find all the live game stuff we're talking about. If you are confused about what we're talking about in the episode and you want to see what's up, you can f- catch it on our Patreon, man. All of our live game stuff is available to you if you pledge $10 or, le- or $10 or more. You can see every live game we've ever put on recording. It's this is true. It's pretty dope. Uh, there's a lot of hours of content at this point. Um, feel free to go check out us using all these uh, cool optional rules. We're always changing it up in F bats and trying new things. Um, our one shots are golden. They're some they're so fucking funny um, or check <laughs> or just check out Super Quest Saga, which is pretty much homebrewed. It's tore up from the floor up with homebrew. 
It really is. And it's awesome. Um, I mean, it's a space opera uh, future fantasy game. And th- this one isn't on Patreon. It's actually just on YouTube. Free for anyone to watch. It's also a podcast that so you can uh, download on any podcast app that you listen to. And we're running a contest to promote um, it in general, actually. It, yeah. So we're giving away a book called uh, Descent into Avernus. It's the newest d book coming out in September. And if you are interested in said book, you can enter to win it. By sharing an episode or a link to an episode of Super Quest Saga, our D&D Live Play on YouTube. And uh, yeah, if you share it on Twitter with the hashtag SuperQuest, I'll go ahead and find that and you'll be added to the list. If you share it on some other social media, you can let us know by sending us a screenshot to the digicast at gmail.com or... You can send it to me on Twitter and uh, let me know. And yeah, that'll work too. Yeah, that's our, uh, we probably haven't plugged our email in a long time or our Discord, but we have a Discord. There's a link for it below, or you can reach out to us at thedungeoncast.gmail.com. Really just check out the show notes. And if you want to see anything else we're involved in, you can catch it down there. If you want to enter the contest a second time, you can go to the uh, the Dungeoncast on Instagram, find the Descent into Avernus post, uh, tag two people, recommend SuperQuest Saga to them. You will be entered in our contest. With that being said, we should probably get back to the show. We've returned. Indeed we have. Indeed we have. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're back. And we we're got, back. And we got more optional rules to talk about. There's so many more. There's and a lot of optional rules we're not going to talk about. Yeah, we're, we're just talking. We just picked a random handful and we're going for it indeed so the next one i want to talk about is the mechanic we used in our halloween adventure the dredge into shadow mire keep Madness. horror is horror. the name of the mechanic oh okay so um honestly it's just a super streamlined version of the sanity score optional rule essentially when dealing with lovecraftian horror or really any situation that involves revulsion fear and anguish a dm can call for a charisma check with a set DC based off the magnitude of the situation, a failed save brings us back to the three madness charts we talked about earlier. Okay. So, I mean, just super streamlined. It's, uh, you know, something fucking horrifying happens. We'll roll charisma checks. <laughs> um, I think I only managed to drive one of you insane. Me. Was it you? Yeah. No, two of you insane. Because I, oh, yeah. I know I got uh, Freeland's character, the kobold. Oh, that's right. God, what was this kobold's name? I can't remember. Oh, he was our hero. Uh, yeah, he was a hero. That's for sure. None Sorry, of, Freeland. None, we none of you other ones were. Nope. You're all a little bunch of shitbags. I was a shitbag. Um, I was a big fat shitbag. But yeah, that was fun. Basically, like, um, I'll keep the spoilers light, but like, there would be certain creatures that you would come across that were like, just yeah, try and love, break love, your mind. Lovecraftian style Yeah, there was like shows. certain events that would happen. Um there were certain traps that, that got sprung, and yeah, so I, I loved making you guys make those madness checks. It was great. I think I, I failed at the um, the flying dildo. <laughs> the flying dildo. Please don't call it that. That was my favorite monster in the whole goddamn thing. I, was like, I can't oh, help what it looks so like. so cool. You called it a flying dildo. I was like, fuck, it does look like a flying dildo. <laughs> it's got legs and wings, but it yeah. is what it is. All right, moving on. All right, it's a flying so, cucumber. Sorry. So, so the next... Uh, optional rule we're talking about are well it's actually two healing kits and healing surges now these are optional rules that can either make healing characters a lot easier or a lot harder but if you ask me both work extremely well for low magic slash no magic campaigns uh, i'm looking at this for fbats also oh are you okay yeah so the healing kits rule is essentially it essentially makes it so characters cannot expend hit die during short rest unless they have they use one use of a healer's kit per die. Okay. This makes healing difficult and costly. Mm-hmm. And it can be a great mechanic for a gritty and brutal no magic campaign. Can you imagine? This is the only healing you're getting. It's between levels and you're paying the price every single time. And it's like, do I use this healing now or do I try and save it for later? Um that could be really brutal. Right. So there's a I'm trying to implement hero points to cost other since I allow like lots of different uses for them. Yeah. I want them to have to expend a hero point to, well, you can do things like uh, a short rest costs a minute, but it's a hero point also or something. Ooh, like that. I like that. That's cool. But to kind of curb the abuse of that, yeah, I would implement a system like this where it also costs to heal yourself where you right. have to use one of these kits. Okay, I like that. Or something like that. Yeah, I, I think I have that. a different system than like a kit necessarily, but essentially right. it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so again, that's to me, if you, again, it for me, it really complements of like, I want a really gritty, brutal, like death is 
like a real thing. Injuries are a real thing. Exactly. And, like, and they are to Batman. Yeah. And there is no magic. There is no cleric. So like I think that would be a really cool rule. The second rule, though, is the healing surge rule, which allows characters to actually heal mid-combat. As an action, a character can use a healing surge to spend up to one half of their hit die to heal. Uh, roll each hit die and add your constitution modifier. Once a character uses a healing surge, they cannot use another one until after a short rest. Under these rules, a character regains all hit die after a long rest and half after a short rest. See, that's something we homebrew all the time. I always let you guys have all your hit die back after a long rest. The rule's supposed to be you guys only get half of them back per long rest. Oh, wow. Yeah. And but that would make things a little... We a little don't more do, tough. We have... <laughs> our sessions have very long days. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and then very long gaps between uh, of time between sessions. It's like, oh, by the way, it's been two weeks since last session. Yes. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's episodical in that way. Yes. And they do that a lot in the Adventure Zone also. So they they don't, do. But they don't really take... You know, you don't really take a lot of short rests mm-hmm. in the, that sort of scenario. But we are short rest machines in Saga, so we're finding True. a way. Yeah, you guys do. So for me, the Healing Surge rule is also good for a low slash no magic campaign that wants to, rather than go the greedy brutal path, wants it to be low magic, but also still just feel like classic D&D. You know what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So like the power level stays the same, but there's also just no magic and that's okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and so you're not missing out on these like, these features of the game exactly. like healing which is important exactly so i really like both those rules i really feel like they got their place and i've never used them i don't think i would use them i don't run either of these types of campaigns but i can appreciate them for what they are and i think they work i think this one's really cool and like i said i'm looking to to add it to yeah. the system absolutely um, basically i'm basically building like a very unique like dungeon i don't know if it's good or not i'm just trying it oh for sure <laughs> yeah yeah, okay. Well, the next feature is up, and uh, extra action options during combat is is the feature. So, okay. In a lot of people moving from 4E to 5E were a bit jarred at the difference, and I think a lot of uh, players, especially the ones that picked up fighters, kind of got started to get bored in it's combat. It's a little disappointing. It can be a little boring because it's like, one. well, I attack because I'm a fighter, so I fight, right? Yes. You know, versus like 4E, you have like, well, I have all these encounters. It's really tactical in 4E. Like every different power does a different thing. Yes, even the fi- just the <clears> base, <throat> your basic fighters got like, there are lots of cool ways to run a fighter in that game too. Yeah, and there's lots of cool abilities. ways to run a fighter in 5E <clears> and <throat> I don't think it's personally boring, but I can understand where that concept comes from. And so... Well, it's a lot of people are like, that guy next to me can make a giant fucking fireball and I'm just right, swinging the sword. Right, I can just swing the sword three times. Yeah, cha-cha-cha. But, um... So, so basically this option gives a character, you could do this on an individual level or for the entire group, it gives a character or characters different options they can take during their combat that aren't just attack, dodge, disengage, hide, and all those other ones. Sure. Um, and some of them are pretty cool. Some of them I'm like, eh, but uh, let's talk about all of them. So first one, climb onto a bigger creature. <laughs> if a creature wants to jump onto another creature, it can do so by grappling it. A small or medium creature has little chance of making a successful grapple against a huge or gargantuan creature. However, unless magic is granted the grappler supernatural might. As an alternative, a suitably large opponent can be treated as terrain for the purpose of jumping onto its back or clinging to a limb. (laughs) So essentially, it's like you make a strength or dexterity check to jump onto a creature and share its space. Nice. And it's it's a contest, so it'll be like your strength versus their strength mm-hmm. or your dex versus their dex or however, however, whatever makes sense for the situation. Yeah. Um, like if the creature's trying to buck you off, then yes. If right. it's not, then no. If or, the player succeeds, it shares the target space and clings to the body of the creature it has now climbed onto. While in the target space, the smaller creature moves with the target. So if the target moves, the creature on him on it also moves and uh the creature on top of the uh, the target also has advantage on attack rolls which makes sense like you can get that kidney shot real easy now so what better advantage to have than (laughs) to be like on it something's back yeah and this is fun for us like i'm playing a barbarian and there's a hydra you know what i want to climb on this motherfucker and just start stabbing it in the neck there's a lot of players climb onto dragons because like that's one of the best way it's gonna get away (laughs) yeah it's gonna get away it's gonna fly away you can't get away from me if i am you (laughs) motherfucker let's go i'm gonna stab you in the neck a Um, lot of times you can't even do that right 
So the smaller creature can move around within the larger creature space, treating the space as difficult terrain. The large creature, <laughs> the lar- fucking Spider-Man all over this right. thing. The larger creature's ability to attack the smaller creature depends on the smaller creature's location and is left at your discretion, which makes sense. Like having a hard roll on that wouldn't make sense. Um, the larger creature can dislodge the smaller creature as an action, knocking it off, scraping it against the wall, or grabbing and throwing it by making a strength check contested by the smaller creature's strength or dexterity check. So it's a little bit give and take there. It can kind of be dangerous uh, jumping onto something. You know what would be? I just thought of the fucking most hilarious shit ever. Hmm. I need a a stack of pre-written, pre-prepared character sheets that are easy to use, so it's not like huge spell lists or anything. Mm -hmm. Probably mostly fighters, barbarians, that sort of thing. Yeah. And make them like clones of each other, but Pretty much, you put a stack in the middle of the table, the Charask shows up, everybody grabs one off the top, and this is how the plan that the town comes up with or whatever is like, we're getting on that thing's back, and we're stabbing it in the neck till it dies, <laughs> and this is what you have to do. I like Sick it. one-shot encounter. Hell should yeah. only take four hours. So the next <laughs> action is called Disarm. A creature can use a weapon attack to knock a weapon or other item from a target's grasp. The attacker makes an attack roll contested by the target's strength check or dexterity check. If the attacker wins the contest, the attack causes no damage or other ill effect, but the defender drops the item. Okay. Um, The attacker has disadvantage on its attack roll if the target is holding the item with two or more hands, which makes sense. Stronger grip. Mm -hmm. Uh, The target has advantage on its ability check if it is larger than the attacking creature. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty standard one. This is where we start getting into, uh, are we stepping on the uh, Battlemaster's toes? Because... Uh, that's yeah, what the battle master okay. can kind of do, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's mm, you're gonna have to make a decision as a dungeon master what you want to do there. Battle master is such a weird. <laughs> I like the battle master. I love it. It's just <laughs> it's so weird. It's it, weirdly underpowered in a lot of ways. It is weirdly underpowered in a lot of ways. And just it, let me yeah. do the flips and tricks. Indeed. Can I just do flips and tricks? Sweet flips and tricks. I have to spend these die. Can I do flips and tricks? <laughs> so the next feature is called Mark. Now, this is a holdover from 4th uh, edition. Okay. Uh, this option makes it easier for melee combatants to harry each other and with their opportunity attacks. So when a creature makes a melee attack, it can also choose to mark its target. Okay. Until the end of the attacker's next turn, any opportunity attack it makes against the marked target has advantage. The opportunity Ooh. attack also does not expend the attacker's reaction. But the attacker can't make the attack if anything... Uh, such as the incapacitated condition or shopping grass spell is preventing it from taking reactions. Also, the attacker is still limited to one opportunity attack per turn. So even though it doesn't use a reaction, it doesn't mean you can take more than one opportunity attack. Right. It's just if you need to use your reaction to make a save, exactly. you can do an opportunity attack and still make your save. Yeah, exactly. You get to keep your reaction is really the point here. And if you do make an opportunity attack, you have advantage. I really like this one. Yeah, um, you get to have your cake and eat some of it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, and uh, for me, and I'll say for all of these, but for this one specifically, this is the type of additional option I would allow for like a champion fighter. Because like if you think the fighter is boring, perhaps there's no more boring fighter than the champion fighter who is just the really good at fighters. fighting. Yeah. It's the fighter of fighters. And so a little bit of extra uh, options might be uh, just what that Some versatility. That I do like means. it. My strong body should allow me to do many uh, excellent acrobatic-y and athletic-y things. Right, so why exactly. not these? Exactly. Um, the last three are, um, um, they're honestly to me the most boring. There's overrun, which basically it makes it so that you can try and run through a hostile creature space. It's another contest of like strength versus strength. So you just kind of like, mow them down and mow through them. Like shoulder check them out of the way. Exactly. Uh, there's shove aside, which, uh, it was actually presented in the player's handbook, but, um, it's just, it's just another strength check thing where it's like you try and push somebody five feet. Okay. Uh, which could be tactically... Um, devastating devastating but <laughs> probably very rarely going to come up so but it's a real thing i yeah. should be able to, to push someone push off someone. a cliff yeah. well in the right yeah. you know honestly this scenario. rule should not even be optional <laughs> shoving aside someone should just be a thing you could do i guess mechanically it's well there's a lot of like aren't there feats and stuff that allow you to push people also I think like so. Like, the char- so. like a charger or something like that. I know you can, like, run yeah. and, and boot kick Sparta-style somebody, out like, yeah. 10, yeah. 5 feet. But honestly, feats are also optional rules, too. They're not actually, like, the it's standard. It's not a standard. Yeah, yeah it's, a very, is, it's a variant. I know everyone treats it like it's a standard, so it well, kind of is a it's standard. Basi- it's like the human variant. It's is like it, the human is variant. Is it a variant? Yeah. It sounds like the Is staple. it the variant when it's the thing everyone uses? <laughs> yeah, because it's so much better. And the I other thing is stupid and no one likes it? It's not stupid. It just depends on how you want to like allocate your stats you yeah, know the, it, for me the main problem is that 
the variant is really good. It it might be considered the the strongest of the races because of how good it is. But the flip side is that the standard human is it's a just it's just bad. It's just outright bad. There's n- almost no way or reason you would want it outside of role play reasons. Like uh, versus again, anything else. Yes, outside of role play reasons, yeah, I can agree with that. It is literally bad. I, I, that seems harsh. It I, is. I don't it, think it's it, it, it a plus seems one like to everything, though. Plus I think one to everything you. sounds a lot better than it actually is. Most characters don't need a plus one to four of their stats. They really don't. Well, it kind of, the argument and you're is missing, that. And you're missing out on a plus two to the most important stat. And you don't get any other features whatsoever. I mean, look at elves. They get a billion features. Yeah, Dwarves well, too get a billion features. Tieflings get spell casting. Like, you get nothing. Yeah, and I really did. The the variant made it so I was able to build Carter Huttenberg. Without the variant, I couldn't have made him. Right. I got exactly what I wanted. See, and I, it I have out. I have a lot of flaws. That character's got like a multitude of flaws. Yeah. But there's a lot the things that I wanted Carter to be good at, he is because of the variant. Yeah. And exactly. I did con- momentarily consider the non-variant option, mm-hmm. but it was the feat that really gave his feel in combat a uniqueness to him. Yeah. I can't I took the alert feat. Plus five to initiative, can't be surprised. That is defining for his combat nature. Like that is how I yeah. role play the character. Absolutely. I also feel like the variant really matches the canonical representation of humanity in the world of D&D. You know, human beings are supposed to be the movers and shakers. They're the ambitious ones. They're the ones that get the stuff done. Specialized. So them having a feat at the beginning of their heroic lives just makes sense. Yeah. There's yeah. something I'm really, really good at. And exactly. it's unique to me. And it's why I'm a hero. Right. But moving on, uh, the last extra action feature is tumble, which is essentially like the dexterity version of overrun. It's like <laughs> tumbling through through your thing, like or like I'm diving past you versus mowing you down. Isn't this another kind of thing? Like if we implement this, I took away something unique to the half elf because the half elf can move or not. I'm sorry, not the half elf. The halfling. The halfling can. God, I hate that we can't just fucking call them hobbits. Anyway. <laughs> I'm um, the token estate. <laughs> yes, I, I do. And I, I will continue to do so. But the 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 halfling can do that, right? It can move into uh, another player's space. I don't remember. They it can, can yes, they a can. Space. I think without provoking opportunity attack. Exactly. But this, you have to make a check to do it, so. I guess so, but There's still, that. like, you're encroaching on, you're, you're stepping on you're the line. You're definitely beginning to encroach, yes. Yeah. So, again, this, these are the types of things I would allow, like, a fighter to do. Well, maybe there is no halfling, and there's not going to be a halfling, and you kind of want to do this stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the last optional rule we're going to talk about today is uh, one of the more brutal ones, lingering injuries. Oh, see, this is great. I, I always have these questions about uh, how how that would work in Dungeons & Dragons right. because there's heals, and like I go to bed and magically my arm's not broken or whatever. Right. So it's up to you to decide uh, when you want to make your character to make a check for a lingering injury. But the idea is like something bad happens to a character uh, and it's bad enough that like the injury is not just healable. It's something that uh, they have to deal with probably for a very long time. A broken rib. A A broken broken bone, basically. Broken bone. A missing limb. Sprain. Mm, Sprain's a little light, but. Yeah. You tear your ACL. Sure, that's not that's not so light, but no. yeah. So um, there's a couple examples given, like when uh, a character takes a critical hit. To me, that's a little excessive. Uh, when it drops to zero hit, hit points but isn't killed outright, that's a pretty good one. When you're knocked unconscious, you probably get a lingering injury if you're okay. playing one of the, a more brutal game. Mm-hmm. Or when it fails a death saving throw by five or more, I think that's a really good one. Wow, that is a good one. Yeah. So um, there's a little chart here. What all you need is a D20 that uh, if you want to randomize the lingering injury. I'm not big on randomizing lingering injury. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, my God. You hit by a fireball. Uh, You now have. uh, Let me see. Um, You you lost an eye. It's like, what? Yeah. Well, Um, it it popped. I guess it it hit you in the face. Your eye got too hot. Your eye got too hot. Your eye boiled. That's so gross. So let's talk really quick. Uh, So if you roll a one. On the injury list, uh, you lose an eye. You have disadvantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on sight and on ranged attack rolls. Because heal spells don't like regen; they regenerate you, but they don't. They won't well, grow a limb, right? Well, magic such as regenerate spell can restore the lost eye. Oh, <laughs> so if you have no eyes left after sustaining this injury, you're blinded. That's different. You from, can regenerate. That's them. Def- different from the restoration spells. It's regenerate. Yeah, it's a spell called regenerate. Oh well, yeah. th- oh, God, magic. 
God, man. Yeah, regenerate uh, comes up a lot on this list. I'm just letting See, you know the now. G- if you've got money in your fantasy setting, you <laughs> should not be missing limbs or, Indeed. you know, eyes. Uh, if you, uh, for, oh, oh my gosh. Roll a two, you lose an arm or a hand. Roll a three, you lose a foot or a leg. Roll a four, you now have a limp. Five to seven, internal injury. Eight to ten, broken ribs. Eleven to thirteen, horrible scar. Fourteen to sixteen, festering wound. Ooh, Seventeen no. to twenty, minor scar. Okay. <laughs> so this is okay. setting specific to me. I mean, yes. Like, if and you... speaking of setting specific, okay. can you imagine a game set in a Lovecraftian universe? Low magic, healing kits rule only, lingering injuries, sanity score check. Now that's a good Cthulhu game. Yeah, and you're going to be rolling new characters. <laughs> oh yeah, without doubt, yeah. you're going to go through three. People, but it'll be fun. People, yeah, it'll, especially <laughs> as like things probably like level four, five, you'll see your first death probably mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. level three. I mean, because you can't be so you don't want to be so brutal in the early levels. That's not fun for the players, right? I mean, you if that's the campaign a, that you're running and everyone's agreed, like, oh, let's do a brutal campaign where that motherfuckers be dying left and right. Then yeah, that's what you're gonna want to do. I guess so. Just pr- just have four character sheets on you at all times. Pretty much. I love that meme where they're like, uh, they're like, um, make a dexterity save or whatever. It's like, oh, you failed. Uh, what do I? Do? I failed. What do I do? Roll three d six. Okay, I got a. F- I got an eight. Oh, okay. Roll another three d six. I got a fourteen. Okay, roll it again. He's like, I'm rolling a new character, aren't I? He's like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's ridiculous. A classic meme. Oh, man. Okay, well, with that being said, I think we can get ready for a long rest. Yeah. And, oh, uh, well, I did want to talk oh, about Renan. Oh. Uh, maybe we should save it for the next one. Yeah, honestly. I think so, because uh, this is quite the the wordy one. And I think I got a lot more optional rules to talk about. Yeah, this is not the end. We'll this be back with end. more we'll optional back. rules. Next and I, time. Because I, I do want to talk about... I do want to talk about factions and the faction system and FBATs. Yes, and I think that's a good one. And there's yeah. quite a few rules that I want to talk about as well. But that being said, let's get Grenades. ready for a long rest. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I want to tell everyone about TDC Plays, the video game YouTube channel that we here at the Dungeon Cast gather around the table and play some video games. If you like us here at TDC and you like video games, you'd probably like TDC Plays. So check out the link below. Do you like the subtle sounds of and behind people talking? Fuck yeah, we're using controllers, and that's it's what they true. sound like. It's absolutely true. <laughs> and with that being said, I think we can call it a game. Yeah. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. The Dungeon Cast. Heart Stephen King. Heart Chuck Palahniuk. Infected blends science fiction and horror into a pulpy masterpiece of action, terror, and suspense. James Rollins, New York Times bestselling author of The Judas Strain and Black Order. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Powerfully written, an unforgettable central character. Dallas Morning News. Infected is one hell of an exhilarating ride. Joe R. Lansdale, World Horror Convention Grand Grandmaster and author of Bubba Hotep and Hap and Leonard. All 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror, are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Sigler is the Richard Matheson of the 21st century. Infected is a flawless thinking person's thriller. Jonathan Mayberry, Bram Stoker award-winning author of B-Wars and the Joe Ledger series.